Welcome to Witchlit, a place to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. You can support Witchlit and the serious book habit it requires at ko-fi.com slash witchlitpodcast. And you can be part of the show by sending in your own death, sex, religion, politics, money questions for our guests to Victoria at witchlitpod.com. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and give us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help other witches find the show. Here's to never getting to the bottom of our to be red piles. Laura Tibbis Sackroff is an artist, author, performer, and witch. She is the author of several books, including her two most recent, Anatomy of a Witch and Visual Alchemy. Sackroff lives in Rhode Island with her partner, musician Nathaniel Johnstone, and together they have several music projects, including The Mechanist and The Star Goddess, and other collaborative projects. They have approximately four cats. Laura Tippis Sackroff, welcome to Witchlet. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And I'm, I know we have a lot to talk about, but our first question for everybody on the show is why write? Especially you who do so many other things. Why write? I've I've always been a writer. I, mean, I spend a lot of time in my head. Um, and, you know, as an artist, I'm always telling stories. And so, you know, even when I was little, I was, you know, drawing and, you know, telling the story at the same time and just like filling up sheets and sheets of paper. And as I, you know, got older, it was more about the information because I'm also a Gemini. So it's like, I have to tell you all the things. And writing can be a very good format for telling all the things and, and really kind of working it out in such a way. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it's always interesting to me, writers... Um, and I think it's probably more common than people think have multiple creative channels. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've interviewed a lot of people on the show who also do music, who are also visual artists, you know, you do all those things and also do dance. So you have like, you know, instead of a triple threat, I guess you're a quadruple threat. I I don't, what is that? What is the term for that? (laughs) I guess. But, um, I mean, so how do you decide when you have a creative idea, like, does an idea come to you and then you decide the channel or does it come with the channel always for you? With, with ideas, they, they very much have the flavor they want to be expressed in. So if it's an art-based thing, I'm going to have um, a visualization. I, you know, get an image in, in my mind or just kind of however want to express that, right? It's like suddenly I see this thing and I, like, I, have, I have to do it. I have to paint it. I have to recreate it. Where when it comes to writing, more of a problem-solving uh, kind of scenario where like, all right, you know, there's this thing that I don't feel is talked enough about, or I see people struggling with, and how do, you know, how do I work that out in a way that's helpful for other people, and often learn something about it myself, too, in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, I think it's always nice to you if you have multiple creative channels, like if one feels blocked, you can mm-hmm. still be creative in a different channel in that time period and and park on whatever the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go explore something else. And I, and sometimes it's really also like, I can really only do (laughs) one thing at a time. If I'm doing writing, then it's all writing. If I'm Mm -hmm. doing art, then it's all art. It's hard to switch back and forth too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, especially, you know, you Gemini's and all your irons in the fire folks. I am, I'm, I'm that way too. Like I, or can work on one project at a time. I really have a hard, t- I have friends who are authors who like have multiple writing projects going at the same time. And I was like, I can't keep track of that in my brain. Like it doesn't work for me that way. No, no it, it's really terrible when like I'm getting the second draft, first draft or second draft back from something and I'm working on something new. I'm like, I have to switch brains. Like it's even, you know, I really want that full immersion to whatever I'm living in one land. And now I have to like kind of travel back and remember what the flavors are in the other land. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've had books come out pretty rapidly. So you probably have had to deal with a lot of that. Yes. Uh, and, and then you got the last step, which is the promotion of the book, too. So like, at you, you know, we're working on one thing and, and then those come out and then you're going on tour about, you know, 
to talk about the book that was prior to that, like where, where, and when am I? You know, what is time? Yeah, what it's, do I answer questions about? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about even <laughs> with our interview, like anatomy of which and visual alchemy came out pretty close together. And then you also had the Oracle that come out and then you have another book coming out with Llewellyn this year with um, the Zodiac series. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word. Um, so yeah, you've got a lot going on just in your writing world. So I guess, you know, one of the questions I always ask people is like, what was getting published the first time? Like, what was that like? And I know you have magazine experience like early on. So how did that whole arc happen for you? I'll, uh, so I got involved with uh, Crescent Magazine back in the late 90s, um, you know, being an associate editor and having regular articles for that. And I had kind of switched gears from writing about witchcraft and paganism as I was focusing on dance. And I had the dance blog. And I started being like, well, now that I'm getting back in I'm free to explore my spirituality because I had a drastic life change 2011, 2012. Like, oh, I can I can get back into talking about this. Um, that's where Jason Menke was, you know, in charge of Pathos. He's like, you know, you, you could you could be doing this, you know, on a blog where more people are going to see it. And so that got back into that sort of platform and that arena. Uh, is uh, you know it's it's different, it is different audience and different exposure to folks and um in different places. And it did get me back into thinking about writing a book because I was going, it was, I was working on a book in early 2000s. I actually have, have a notebook that shows I have three books laid out in my <laughs> notebook that I was going to write um, about modern traditional witchcraft. And those didn't come to fruition for various <laughs> dramatic technical issues, such as hard drive failures and motherboard fries and, and kind of everything that, that sunk it. Uh, so I was kind of like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to work on a book. And so I didn't for a while. And I think it was around 2014 that I went back to Pantheacon. And that's where Llewellyn does their, uh, you know, I mean, it's not speed dating. It <laughs> it's kind of is, like book. speed pitch. Yeah. 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 Like, here's my idea. And the idea that I pitched was visual alchemy. Um because that was what the topic I was really excited about was the intersection art and magic. And I actually got, I sat down with Bill, the publisher, and he's like, yes, write this for us, write us the proposal. And I'm like, I will get right on that. And then proceeded to not <laughs> get right on that um, until uh, 2015, where I saw the call out from Alicia for the witch's cauldron. And I'm like, cauldrons, I could write about cauldrons. Um, it's sort of a divergent <laughs> think like yes I know I'm supposed to be working on this but I'm going to work on this other project instead and um, finally getting that first book out there uh, it's it's a sweet little book like that whole series the witch's tools like they're really informative like they're like little they're brownies you know, essentially right they're packed full of goodness they're an easy read and they get people started on their path and in that it was sort of a test uh, on different kinds of levels, because, you know, having been in pagan publishing magazines and such for, you know, since the late 90s, I was very familiar with Llewellyn and all of its phases and Wiser and all the other publishers and like, how are things going to go with this? So if I talk about breaking the gender binary, if I talk about how some of these myths have been pushed in paganism for so long are really incorrect <laughs> <laughs> not accurate to the text. And if I put some goofy, fun stuff in there, are they going to edit all of this out? And instead I got the opposite of the like, yes, give us more of this. Uh, so that that really kind of created a comfortable environment for it. Mm -hmm. And then it was really well received. I, you know, I kind of was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Because I, again, being involved in reviewing books, you you know what happens when people review books, especially within the community. You was like, oh. I'm holding on. What's going to happen? And it wasn't that terrible. <laughs> so I did more. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I don't know. Reviews are, I don't know. They're kind of a minefield, I think. I mean, it's good to kind of, everybody says, don't read your reviews. And I'm like, well, you know, the reviews really aren't for the author. They're really for other readers, but I do think you right. can glean things from them. And if several reviews kind of say the same thing, then you know, well, maybe that is something I need to work on or whatever. And then sometimes they're just garbage. <laughs> so they just make you feel right. bad. <laughs> it, it, 
Yeah, especially coming from an art and design background is you're really schooled in constructive critique, right? So you're supposed to be able to take the critique and the critique is supposed to be able to help you improve. So if you come at it from that mindset, you're like, okay, what can I improve on? What, yeah, because you said, like, what are the things that are showing up? But then you get people who are like, this book changed my life. Three stars. <laughs> like, so clearly it was not a great change for you, is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's wrong? Yeah. Dramatically changed my life. I will always keep it in my library. Three stars. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, a friend of mine has a favorite review of hers that um, was one star that had too many big words her favorite review and i was like it's a fantastic one okay you know that's <laughs> that's an option sorry google yeah, is your being needy. oh look at that yes we we have joked uh many times on the show that Orion thinks it's his podcast so of course he has to make an appearance um yeah but i i tried not to review read reviews anymore but when you have a new thing come out it's just kind of hard not to but you know to completely ignore it cats don't know what they want um yeah yeah i made my appearance that's it it's good yeah yeah but um i don't know do you have a favorite review even a favorite (laughs) bad one (laughs) um there, there's probably like two, and unfortunately, I think only one is still in existence. Um, and they're on the, 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 it's the first, the sigil of a tree one. So this book is haunted. The one I made the YouTube video about. <gasps> yes. Where it's like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it screams. I can hear the screams. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. This is like, like three wolf moon level of what's going on here. Um, and then there was the the gentleman who complained that the Gorgon's Guide was woke. And um, and then everybody then proceeded to basically copy and paste his review. And so, like, this is the most woke book on magic ever, but, like, five stars <laughs> instead of one star. And then he deleted his review. So um, <laughs> it's like you've been uh-huh. owned by the rest of the Internet for yeah. your opinion. So, yes. Yeah, I, I remember when you posted about the haunted book, and I just remember thinking, like, so is it just the copy they have? Is it <laughs> right. all copies of the book? Like, how does a haunted book work? <laughs> yeah, and I, the thing is, I should have like put that sigil into Visual Alchemy in the, in the archive section. The haunted book sigil. <laughs> Yeah, here's how to haunt your book. Like, just made it like a little tiny footnote somewhere and see if anybody picked up on it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I do love in jokes later, you know, in later books. That's always that's always amazing. Um, so I'm curious. So, Visual Alchemy was the first book you pitched, and several books happened in between. So, what finally got you to the book that you eventually that you first pitched? Well, it it really grew in scope. Um, I guess you can say a part a part of the aspects of what I pitched for Visual Alchemy became Sigil Witchery, uh, because you know in Sigil Witchery I cover the history of the mark making and you know in order to explain how my method came into being. Uh, so part of it got deposited in a small form there, and you know, getting people on the path to consider art. And once that was all primed in Sigil Witcher, I was like, okay, now the next logical step past that, now I've gotten in between books out, right, is to really delve into the making of art and not only refining the sigil technique, but really can you, facing our fears about art, making art, making sure it's more accessible to everybody, and also really seeing where it is linked with magic and how it's been integral to human civilization, like why these things are all together. Uh, so it, you know, it definitely grew a lot from that initial proposal, but it's like everything in its own time, you know, just because you think it's ready. I mean, it's like, I got another book I've been thinking about last couple of years, but it's like, it's not ready yet. Mm-hmm. You know, is it the soup yet? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that, that is a familiar feeling. I have a, a novel project I've been working on for three years and I thought it was done like around October last year. And then I let it sit. And now I'm looking at it again. I'm like, this book's not done. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's like, that was a nice break. Are you ready to come back now? 
Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I think I just needed to let it sit in its completed form, temporarily completed form and stew. Sometimes they just got a stew. I don't know. It's just one of those things. Yeah. So since we have brought up visual alchemy, um, I have to do a tiny fangirl squee and say, oh my God, you got Nick Bantog to write the forward for your book. <laughs> like my, oh my, my 90s God. heart just like flopped over my chest when I saw that. So how did that happen? <laughs> uh, I Same thing. Like I pretty much like ran around the block a few times and he said yes. Uh, so uh, you've been following his work for, for obviously a very, very long time and uh, following him on Facebook. Um, he had posted something about like working on maybe, you know, different tar- tarot ideas he thought about. And I was like, hey, if you're serious about this, <laughs> I know a guy, I know a gal um, that I'd like to hook you up with if you are serious about making an Oracle deck or a tarot deck. And he said yes. And so I hooked him up with my editor. And that's how um, that his first Oracle came into being. And so we you know, kind of communicated about that. And at the time, I was still living in Seattle, and he's up in Victoria. Uh, so you know, just across the border. But it was also, you know, in the time we're crossing the border, wasn't... <laughs> became a far less easy um, yeah. given the state of the country. And uh, so didn't really get to take advantage of going up to visit him then. But when Visual Alchemy came out and happened to be just after the pandemic restrictions lifted into getting into Canada, he's like, all right, let's 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 do this thing. Um, so we did a book signing together and finally got to meet in person after all these years. And I was like, absolute squee <laughs> the entire yeah. time. Just like, yeah, I can't even, I mean, that, I, and Griffin and Sabine was a formative book is, I guess, the way, like, that whole series was, it just hit at a really tender moment, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. So, yeah, it, I was, I was, and it, the it, the foreword is lovely. I mean, he, he just has, I mean, he's got as much away with words as he does with art. So, yeah, I thought what he had it's, to say was really nice. I was just, I'm so appreciative. And, um, you know, after meeting him and talking, he's like, so what's next for you? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Uh, and he gave me some words of wisdom that I'm just like, I don't know what that means. So I'm just going to have to figure it out. And I recently read the entire um, Griffin and Sabine series because, you know, most, you tend to think it's the trilogy, mm-hmm. but there was another. Another four books, three? right? Three, four? four. I think it's yeah. four. Yeah. Um, I was trying to count them behind me. And, you know, what was kind of the one of the remarkable things is the, um, I think it's the fourth book that was actually released on September 11th, uh, 2001. And so it pretty much got buried by the mm-hmm. news. Yeah. Uh, and so everything for that release, like it kind of those it lost a bit of steam from there. Um, that's what he was through telling me. I'm like, well, that explains why I didn't really hear so much about like the amazing sequels mm-hmm. um, to... Their past sequels, but the continuum, the continuing story of Griffin's Mean, yeah, yeah, and it's still so you know, the things that you pick up now as an adult that you might not have picked up as a child or a teenager, or you know, even in your 20s, and like, wow, (laughs) such an amazing experience, yeah, yeah. I just, I just remember, like, I think it was the first. I don't, I don't know if they were the first, but they were the first for me, like those type of tactile books for adults mm-hmm. that I had ever encountered. And I mean, it was like opening a gift every time you opened the book because they were just, there was so much, like you said, there's, I, I'm sure if I went back to look at them now, there's things I missed. Like you're right. There's, there's no way because there's so many layers of what's going on with the art and the story. And Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's basically splitting yourself and see um, what he's written about more recently is like, you know, both, both Griffin and Sabine are him and like in the mm-hmm. different aspects of him. And yeah. Um, yeah, you just dig into that as a, as a creative person. Like, what does that mean for mm-hmm. you and your journey and realizing, you know, the, the parts of ourselves that we often deny uh, 
all that. Mm-hmm. Ah, so good. And I love what you say, visual alchemy about, you know, one of the things about that work was how one artist could have these such two distinct styles and that show up mm-hmm. in that book. And then I was thinking about that, like in terms of your own work, like you, you have lots of channels for your art, you know, through your writing, through your music, through dance, through visual art. And, you know, I think we're all like that. And I, what does he say in the forward? Like something about, I wanted as many tongues as I had, you know, languages inside me kind of thing. Like I wanted yeah. to be able to, to speak this in however many ways it needed to happen. And I don't know, it's just a really beautiful idea because I think we do tend to fall into this, you know, with our creativity, this idea of branding. Right. That just kind of stifles. I mean, there's, there's really no way around it. It just stifles. So. Yeah. People are expecting a certain product and they, you know, whether you're making a book or art or music, right. Oh, that album doesn't sound like the last album. Like, do you really want it to sound exactly like the last album? Yeah. It should go somewhere different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. It's, I think it's, it's hard because, you know, at some point you do need to make, you know, if your creativity is your living, like you do have to kind of answer to that in some way. But at the same time, like, how do you still have the space? Like, I don't, weirdly, it always makes, makes me think of, this is probably also going to date me. Um, it makes me think of um, Radiohead. And like mm-hmm. how much crap they got for their albums being so different. And they were just like, no, this is like, we want to make music and this is what we're doing. And I was like, well, yeah. And I mean, they have continued to be successful doing what they wanted to do despite, you know, record companies and people saying that we want, you know, we want creep 20 more times or whatever. So. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just one of those like weird places I think we fall in and have to figure our own way out of too. Yeah, I I definitely get the understanding of wanting something comfortable and something familiar. Uh, You know, I think the neurospicy brain especially likes to have, you know, it's like, I'm just going to watch Empire Records for the hundredth time instead of watching something new because I just need that mental Mm -hmm. comfort of knowing what's happening and, you know, familiarity of the characters. But at the same time, like, you do need to consume, not to consume, but to be exposed to something new to, you know, shake things up and to change those patterns. So Mm -hmm. why not both? (laughs) Yeah, like I, yeah, I do really feel like there's, there's reasons and room for both. I mean, if things are really bad, yeah, like I fall into comfort reading and comfort viewing. I mean, my comfort book is um, Amy McKay's Witches of New York. I I think I've read it like 10 times at this point. I just, it's like a place I can go and be quiet and still, and I know it's going to happen, even though the story is kind of like scary. It's still, you know, it's still a comfort place to be in that little t-shirt in New York. It's a great world building. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you need new stuff too. So you have to feed the well somehow. Got to pour in from somewhere. Yeah. So how, how do you feed your well? Like what is, what is the, where do you go for new stuff? (sighs) Ah. I really feel like it's it's all around me. You never know where inspiration's going to hit. Um, but mostly, you know, I find it's through teaching. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm, you know, well, teaching a class, I've taught hundreds of times, like sigil witchery, and somebody comes up with a, a new question or a different perspective on things. I go, oh, wait, all right, how can I address this better? Um uh, or just see the need, like with anatomy of a witch, like we're so disconnected from our bodies and it's not just the, the health of our bodies and the image of our bodies. Like just look at the news in the last, last few weeks about like, oh no, naked bodies. Oh no, queer bodies. Like, oh, the bodies are amazing and we really need to be able to respect this in our practice. So there's the, the zeitgeist of the moment of what does society need? So whether it's, if, even if it's one person comes with me, there's going to be other people who have got that question, but then there's the overwhelming, all right, 
we've we've got an issue and how do we collectively address and maybe fix this issue um so that's kind of where it's not to say i'm a trend follower but i i worked in the jewelry industry for years where it was my job to come up with a trend before the trend happened mm-hmm. <laughs> find what's going to be hot before it's actually hot and uh, and i kind of feel like no matter what uh, area I've been, I'm always like finding that one little, like interesting little tiny thread. I'm like, this seems like a thing. And then it does return into the thing. So, yeah. um, yeah. I, I loved the section in visual alchemy about the slutty muses. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that is the best way to think about it because I, I do think, you know, there's often, I, I think the 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 way most people are familiar about it is like when Hollywood just has a slew of movies that seem like they're exactly the same, and you're like, well, right. they all came out together, so they had to happen. You know, they weren't copying each other. So how does right. how does this happen? And yeah, the the idea that multiple like these ideas live in the world and multiple people bump up against them at the same time is um it kind of reassuring, I guess, in a way. The, um, the, the multiple discovery of it, it just, it, it, it gives you that sense of like, this is w- what the energy wants in the world or what the mm-hmm. universe is kind of putting us on the path for. This is the, the, the ultimate solution to the pattern we're currently weaving. And we're, you know, enough people are going to get to that solution at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, yeah, you see it again and again. And yeah, it is comforting. And then people who go are like, oh, you stole from me. Like, that's, that's not like... Even with the internet, like you can see it well for the internet of this happening again and again all over the world. And it's great how our brains work. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think I, and the reason, one of the reasons I find it comforting is I think that, you know, as, as a creator, you do sometimes worry that you're derivative or, you know, it's like, where, where do these ideas come from? And, mm-hmm. or that you've let an, an idea escape, right. And somebody else got there first. And you're like, well, right. maybe, but what is, how am I looking at this thing? Like, what is the lens I bring to this thought or, you know, image or whatever? So I think that it's comforting in that way too. Right. Yeah. We all bring our unique aspect as sort of the, um, the elephant in the room, right? Well, you're all going to describe the, the part that's in front of you. Yes, it's part of the same thing, but uh, people are so, so quick to discount it. You think about, you know, I ever see somebody slagging off about beginner books. There's too many big beginner books out there. I'm like, but when you think about it, what is the beginner book that you would recommend for somebody on this topic, given who they are and where they're coming from? Is this relevant to the generation now? Is this something from two generations ago? Does it make sense in the sixties? It doesn't make sense now. It's like, of course you've got to revisit these. It's a living, it's living knowledge. Mm-hmm. So of course there's going to be multiple versions of it, but that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think, you know, it's been interesting having the podcast because I have read a lot of one-on-one books for the podcast because a lot of them do come out. And I think, mm-hmm. I, I do wonder if people who say that read them because they are very different. They're very different yeah, from each they, other. No, I, I, I you know, consistently say, especially when I see that the same people are recommending books that came out 20, 30 years ago, like I know you are not reading these books. And I know you also haven't read the books that you're recommending in 20 to 30 years. Right. Yeah. Like time, time to reread what you're recommending. I think that's a good thing for, for anything mm-hmm. that we recommend is, you know, if you really love it, you're going to revisit it regularly and know why it's good or why you might not recommend it to somebody or at least give them a caveat about it. Yeah, I've been doing research for a project I'm working on, and I have a copy of Scott Cunningham's herbal book. And Mm -hmm. so I've been kind of dipping into it and looking at things and then going, well, where the hell did he get that? Like, because those early books weren't footnoted in any way. I mean, there's no sourcing in a lot of that. And and then you start finding where he got it. And you're like, well, that's not what they said. (laughs) Or... You're like, that was his interpretation, which is fine. But I would have liked to have known that at the time, I guess. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it's important to reread them if you're going to recommend them. And I don't think that means they need to, like, be, you know, 
trash heaped. And I, I don't, I, I'm always worried when I say, you know, recommend new books. People are like, well, you think we should just get rid of these? So I was like, no, they serve a purpose still as a document about where we came from. And, exactly. you know, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to slag on Scott because I wouldn't be here had it not been for his books. You know, that's how, that was the door I walked through. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that, but we, we've grown and changed in 40 years. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, I don't know. I kind of want to ask you like what you would recommend now, but <laughs> it seems like I need to also like create a whole person for you to recommend a book for, but I am curious, like what, so like, just what are you reading? Like, what are you reading kind of in this witchy space that you're excited about or, you know, that that's kind of sparking stuff for you? Uh, so my brain broke a bit during the pandemic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it really, I like, had to stop blurbing books. Like, you know, like I have so many friends who have books coming. Like, would you blurb this? I'm like, I would love to blurb your book. I can't read nonfiction right now um, for the most part. Um, there was just a few things, like, unless it's for my own work right now and my, <laughs> I'm going to work with my brain. So I've been going more to the fiction mm-hmm. side of things. Um, and the, the thing I will continue to rave about for quite a long time is Thistlefoot. Uh, by Jenna Rose Nethercott. Uh, it's a retelling of the Baba Yaga story or a modern take on the history of, you know, looking at that um, Slavic and Russian folklore and where it intersects with Jewish mythology and history and brings it to the United States. It's it's a masterful, masterful, masterful words. <laughs> It's a fantastic uh, exploration into that whole world. I'm just really, really excited about it. And uh, it's a really weird thing. The other thing I just devoured was um, Erin French from The Lost Kitchen, her autobiography. Um, I think it's called Finding Freedom, which refers to Freedom, Maine. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think that that kind of journey of personal redemption and exploration you know i kind of feel like it mirrors a lot of my own life of you know what are what are ideas of when we're in our teens and our college age of how we think we're going to blow up the world and then what we deal with and then when we actually have to face adversity and crisis in our lives and then making something amazing out of it um, like like it's about cooking like it's more than about cooking uh, and there's some like really deep magic in there too mm-hmm. when you think about uh, application of like food as love and magic and creating a whole setting um, and all of the personal exploration in there too. So um, yeah, kind of weird left field sort of things, but that's where my brain's been like, I can read this. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah. I am. I know my brain broke a little bit during the pandemic to you and I am. Um, I discovered that I could do a little better with audiobooks. I actually listened to the audiobook of visual alchemy which um, I thought they did well. The narrator's tone was a little, it took me a minute to get used to. Cause I think I, I, you know, from YouTube and, and stuff, I know your voice. And so having someone else read the book and it just took me a minute to like make that switch in my head that, Oh, this is not Laura talking. <laughs> it was a little <laughs> odd. Um, but, uh, but I thought they did a good job. And um but yeah, the audiobooks were a little bit easier. And then um, when I decided to do the podcast and made a promise to myself that I would not have someone on the show if I hadn't read their book, um, I, I just had to start reading again. I didn't have a choice. Right. But um, I do find that like magic inspiration for me is coming from non-witchy books. You're right. Like it's mm-hmm. stuff further, like science and, you know, um, just other things are are sparking things and a lot of history. I don't know. I've been in this weird history location too. So. Yeah. There was, um, was reading about the history of Sicily, you know, I think somewhere in that um, mixture was both um, braiding sweetgrass and gathering moss, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just those were kind of the the things where your brain just goes, all right, this again, you just start to see how it's relative to, magic mm-hmm. um and 
And yeah, that's, I think when you go outside of the known area, it tends to lead to inspiration because it's just waiting. It's yeah. just waiting. You know, it's just like, come find me. Yeah. It's like I, the, the, the novel that is parking has a lot of art history in it. And so I've been reading a lot of art history and, um, especially like, you know, kind of mystic women artists and that, mm-hmm. I mean, that like, I could go down that rabbit hole forever. And I was like, I do have to write the book. I can't just read, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been really interesting. And I, I noticed you mentioned several of those people in your book, like you mentioned, um, I thought Conquin or I never can pronounce her last name properly because I, I have a terrible Scottish accent. <laughs> and, um, and I interviewed Amy Hale. It's not, it'll be released by the time this comes out, but it hasn't come out yet. And um, I had to like make a note, a post-it on my computer. So I pronounce the name properly and my post-it's gone. Um, but also Leonora Carrington, like mm-hmm. just the yes. serialness. And I have uh, long been obsessed with Emma Offklimt. So yeah, it was, it's been really interesting. I actually mm-hmm. have a pre-ordered book that Offklimt's, I think her son, grandson, like compiled all mm. her notebooks that's supposed to come out, I think in June. Ooh. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait to get it. Um, it's like, I wish it was out now because I'd really like to finish this book, but I'm kind of waiting until it comes out to say, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's, there's a lot out there. Um, so where, like for other parts of your life, like for art and music and dance where do you find inspiration for those things or does it come from the same place sometimes Mm, um i feel like it comes from a lot of different different sources uh so like we're collaborating with um you know with my partner nathaniel like with the mechanist and the star goddess uh you know it started off kind of creating a mythology and seeing like, how do we create the space? What are, what, what experience are we giving people? And, you know, we have an idea for where the next album is going, which really is going to perhaps dig into the anatomy of a witch um, and kind of go through that, which would be a great tool as well as an amazing experience if I can get all, all the moving parts together. Yeah. Um, Cause I really want to bring the visual aspects. Um, I'm, I'm not an animator. And I've been like saying for probably the last 15, 20 years of like, to really learn animation <laughs> and figure out how to, to bring this into it. Um, so that's something we've been talking about. We just had a gig in Minnesota at Paganicon and it was like, it's, we're not quite there yet. And we're just, you know, still kind of playing with that, the other material, but here we are gathering you know a thousand people for the first time in a very long time for a lot of people like how do we make this an amazing yet safe experience uh and it did kind of feed through both that kind of star goddess idea as well as the body and getting people into their bodies and kind of recognizing the power of their bodies uh and so that kind of things that were created in the moment um you know, create new ideas too. So sometimes it's just like, we're problem solving right here. How do we do this? And it's working. These people are doing the thing. They're excited about it. Uh, so that feeds off of new ideas where there's also like the familiar friends of uh, other concepts. Like right now, um, as I've been kind of going into this root ball, as Nick Bantar called it, like couldn't do root ball, uh, is exploring new techniques in my work, but I'm still visiting some of those original visions. So um, like hares and ravens and snakes, um, you know, these kinds of things, they, they always come back. And every time I visit them, even if it's a very similar theme, there's a new voice to it. There's a new way of seeing um, that too, which, so like that in itself is like, I think for a long time, especially as a dancer, I always felt pushed that I have to come up with the next new thing. Like it's all right. You did this thing. Now people are copying it. So you have to move on to the next thing. Uh, and finally now in my forties, I'm like, F that. <laughs> Everybody, they can, they can copy it all they want. It's still not going to be what I'm doing. And so I should just really settle in with these ideas too and explore them for everything um, until they, they take me to the end of it and, and just kind of enjoy it instead of being like, well, I've already done that. So now I have to do a new thing. Like, no, I don't. 
there's no rush. <laughs> Not there's no timeline here. Uh, nobody's going to get to the finish line first. Yeah, there is no finish line. No finish line. I always tell myself that there's no finish line, and you're you will die with your inbox full. That's just how it works. Right. <laughs> so. Oh God. I'm a Scorpio. I get I get dark sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to finish everything you want to finish. So that um, won't keep me up at night. That will be fine. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry to plant that tiny thing. Um, I find it comforting, but maybe some people don't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I'm I'm, 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh my God, no, but no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, Um, I know. I did find, you mentioned being in your 40s, I did find that turning 50, like, made me saucy about things in a way that I had not expected. I'm just like, well, I made it this far. So whatever happens out is gravy. <laughs> so. Yep. Like we're doing we're doing good. We're we're doing um, great. And and I'm still getting, you know, missed age that like, oh, I thought you were in your 30s. <laughs> like thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It happened. I I can get that. Not less neurotic. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's like, well, and the thing I always find is when people say it, it's like, I appreciate that, but I know what I look like in my 30s. I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but thank you. You know, thank you, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, we do live in this, you know, very youth obsessed culture. And I, I find it interesting, you know, because there's a spreading joke. And I've talked about this in the show a few times that, you know, everyone's like Gen X isn't aging. And I'm like, well, there's like, environmental factors around that <laughs> like we don't smoke as much we don't drink as much as you know boomers did you know like we're not you know we wore sunscreen as kids you know there's just like a lot of reasons that that's that we're aging differently and right i mean it's it's interesting i but i'm also like kind of fascinated by gen xers who are also just embracing their faces and like no this is you know this is, we've been down this road, like we're, we're all, you know, in our forties and fifties now and this is who we are. So. Yeah. And this is my body. I'm not going to pump it full of strange things and cut things up. If I don't yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, you I'll know, avoid the warranty. <laughs> right. It's just like, um, I don't know. And maybe it's just be, having been dismissed like every, I mean, you know, people joke that Xers were the first people who were dismissed. And I was like, all generations are dismissed. Go read some Socrates. He was bitching about young people too. Right. You know, like we've, we've been doing this for a long time, but, um, but I think we might have been, I think there might have been enough nihilism around that we were just like, well, we got here. So we don't really care what we look like. <laughs> We're going to continue to dress like we dress. We're not going to like fall into this, like, oh, I'm an old lady and now's the time to, you know, stop wearing my band t-shirts. Like that's not happened. Um, Nope. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just different, but I I don't think that, I think that there are a lot of environmental factors too. (laughs) I'm not so sure that it's going to work out the same for people younger than us though, because those environmental factors have now changed in a negative way. So, right. Yeah. It's, it will be uh, fascinating to see if we get to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. My son is 27. I'll be 28 this year. And we were talking recently about um, like what, like what the future looks like. Cause he's already thinking about like, God, I, I feel really bad for Gen Z kids. And what's this going to be like for them? And I was like, you're 28 you're like, and your brain is already there. I was like, yeah, it's, it's a different time. Yeah, I was not thinking of millennial kids when I was 27, even though I had one, I wasn't thinking about them that way, I guess. So. Right. No, well, it, it, it's, it was, it was a completely different mental state and environment where we were in political scene. And even though all of this was underneath the surface, we were just sort of like, da, 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 this is fine. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've tried to explain. It's getting when, better. So. It's getting better. <laughs> Yeah, I've tried to explain <laughs> 90s nostalgia to my son. He was born in 95. And I was like, yeah, I said, we were we were mostly ignorant, but it was also its own kind of bliss. Like, it seemed like things, everything was getting better. And then mm-hmm. I said, and then kind of 9-11 happened. And that was the end of that. <laughs> and he, I mean, he's old enough to remember again, that. You're like, you're like, wow, black man has been elected president. We're definitely on the right track again. 
Oh. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting time to be alive as a human. I think it's an interesting time to be alive as a witch. And this is an excellent unplanned segue to talk about the Gorgon's Guide and the work that you've been doing with that. Because I wanted to make sure that we talked about that on the show. Um, so how did that birth itself? How did how did these books come into being for you? Uh, so it goes back to um, the the hashtag we are Radia, and that was uh, I think late 2016, early 2017 uh, on Twitter, like you do. Uh, <laughs> the discussion of um, you know like what's all the stuff that's going on, and what are we going to do to you know protect ourselves? What are we going to do to change society, or like who's going to do it? Like the question of like who's going to do it, and the answer to that was it's us. Like there's no one coming to save us. We we it's us. We are, we are Radia, uh, and that inspired the. All right, maybe we should create an anthology where we, as the collective, put together things that can help um, stabilize, change, protect. Uh, you know all of those things. And so when the new Radia came out, that was 2018, um, just in time for the election. Uh, you know, we had so much a response that Jen from Revelor is like, All right, when are we going to do the next thing? And I'm like, let's just see. <laughs> let's just see where we're going. Um, you know, and things look kind of hopeful in, you know, early 2020. <laughs> and the things you know, could continue to to shift and the cycle was changing. And then we hit last summer and I'm like, well, it's time for volume two. And it really was, you know, especially with um, abortion rights and everything that's happening um, with trans lives and, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, like all these things that are going on. It's like they are the fact that there's resistance and there's fact that we're talking about it is a good sign. But at the same time, we have to do something about it. Uh, so delving in deeper, um, even a little bit more gritty. I, mean, I feel like the Gorgon's Guide is just a, a little more sharp around the edges, um, which is I want. I wanted something that is really reminiscent of snakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got to um, deal with the more aggressive parts of magical resistance, as well as the uh, dealing with burnout, dealing with, um, you know, how do we heal ourselves in this process too? Because when you think about snakes, right, you think about um, the poison path or what folks like to call it, right? Is that these things are things that heal as well as bruise or kill, right? We have both of these things. Like you take enough, just the right amount of foxglove wouldn't help you with your heart condition. A little too much foxglove, you won't have to worry about your heart anymore because you are dead. Yes. Uh, you know, and the same thing is true with a lot of snake venom, right? Some mm -hmm. A certain amount can like cure different diseases and enough will kill you. Uh, and so when you are in that position of being on not only the defensive, right, to protect others, but to really be a force of change, you also still need to heal um, and take care of yourself. Like rule number one is take care of yourself and, mm -hmm. you know, you are able to take care of other people. So that is another aspect of, of that book, too, um, to bringing in all of that mythology with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just they, I, I do like that Gorgon's Guide is a little spicier. Um, I, I just there's great, great pieces in there. And if people haven't read them, go go buy both books because they're really helpful. And um, in these uh, I'm not going to use the word unprecedented um, <laughs> in these times that, you know, the news is a continuing dumpster fire of, you know, just trying to roll us back as hard and fast as people can. Um, it's really comforting and, you know, does give a map for like, here's some things you can do right now and mm -hmm. in, in small and big ways, but because I think it it is easy and maybe it's a little easier coming from a place where things, you know, from that ignorance was bliss place in the nineties that it, it is easy to just be like almost frozen in your tracks in the face of what's going on. It's like, I just didn't think this could ever happen, you know, whatever the right. thing is. And, um, 
I was like, I thought we were done with Nazis. Apparently not. You know, like, all of these <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I thought we were done. I thought we beat them. You know, like, apparently not. And it's, it can be just like overwhelming and easy, I think, to check out. And we have created f- so many ways to check out. So it's good to have a reminder that that's do it if you need to temporarily for your mental health. But we can't not try and fix this, I guess, is really great. So I think it's also important to change the idea of what it means to be an activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you had asked me like prior to 2015, 2016, um, like, are you an activist in your work? I'd be like, you know, you mean like those folks who are like always out there and they're always protesting and always doing the things and like they're on the cutting edge of everything that's happening. I'm like that. That's exhausting to me. I can't even fathom that. Um you know, because it just seems like you got it. That's that's your. It becomes an identity, right? Yeah. And I just to stand up for your rights and to care about other people, and that's actual. You know, that is it's a political statement because the political is personal, right. uh, and to realize that this does all affect us. And you know, to be an activist does not need to be mean being like super hyper active um, on a demonstrative level that everyone can see it it can happen at that personal magical level it's going to happen at your family level and your friends and your communal level um and that you are included in that you don't have to be um you know some sort of hero or something like that like somebody made that comment um like instagram's like thanks for being a hero i'm like i'm not (laughs) i'm not a hero i i'm just doing what i believe in um and i care about you know, all the people around me and I care about the next generation that's coming up. I'm, well, I'm not a parent. I have nibblings, um, you know, and I care about the environment and just doing what I can. That's part of my practice. Um, and that's important. And you know, if we don't, if we don't care about the interconnect interconnectedness of our community, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're not separate. That's what I, you know, we're not separate. Unfortunately, we're not no. separate from other parts of our humanity who seem to not get that they are not separate either. But yeah, all we can do is hold up the mirror, right? So, you probably for was it the rapture? All right, please. <laughs> yeah. Take that, please. Great. Leave the planet for us yeah. to help. Yeah, it's. It's strange times, definitely strange times. Mm-hmm. But before we get to our game of chance questions at the end, <laughs> would you like to talk about uh, current or upcoming projects and where readers can connect with you? And I will tell you when this will air so you can include a thought about that um, as soon as I get my sheet up here. I thought it was up. It was not. Mm-hmm. Um, because my brain is all in a spreadsheet now. That's my life. Uh, so this will air in the middle of June. So middle of June. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. So what's coming up next? Um, released in August is the Gemini Witch. Um, as part of the series, um, co-authored with Evo Dominguez Jr., one of my favorite people. Um. Oh. Even though I, even coming into this, you know, when Evo asked me, he's like, I'm like, I'm not that much in astrology. And he's like, you, but you know, you, <laughs> you know how to be a Gemini, mm-hmm. you, you'll be fine. Um, and it, I think a lot of us coming into that, we're like, what? <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Um, you know, especially you're like, what's my most Gemini moment? And you're like, I don't know. And then mm-hmm. you just, you know, 2000 words later, you're like, well, apparently I did. Um, so I think that whole series is going to be a lot of fun, especially uh, you've got your sun signs and your moon signs and rising signs, um, all of that. Uh, it's probably going to be a series. I'm probably going to want the whole the whole section um, just to kind of reference them mm-hmm. uh, for that. And especially 
even though I said like I'm not big into the the heavy workings of astrology, when I used to read professionally full time, I would always ask somebody what their sun sign was uh, because it gave me an insight. You know, if I just have to do a quick 15 minute reading and you tell me you're a Cancer or an Aries or a Libra, then I'm going to have a little clue into your personality, how you're going to react to certain cards mm-hmm. and how I can best give you that advice, uh, which generally makes it really spot on. It's that, you know, quick, you know, Aries might be more aggressive. They're going to be more action oriented where the Taurus is going to want to sit and think about it for a minute. And the Libra is going to have like the ideas and the discussion of that. So, um, so I'm really excited to see how that uh, overall affects the community. Cause I think it's a really good tool. Uh, other than that, um, and kind of, I'm waiting for the contract on a new project, which is an, another Oracle deck. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I really spill the details on that one yet, but any day now, um and also working on a tarot deck with someone too so um don't know when these things are going to be released into the world but they're in this sort of um developmental fun stage um so well that's exciting yeah see see what happens i'm kind of in this thing where i'm like again it's not a rush right there's no finish line it's just a matter of what's inspiring what's exciting to work on what does the world Mm -hmm. need yeah well great and where can folks find you Find me at lauratempestzachproff.com. That's my website. I still have one of those. <laughs> and that will also get you to my social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and also Patreon. And uh, also I have a newsletter, which I don't spam people with. So if you'd like one email from me a month, <laughs> that might be silly and have pictures of cats. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing to just subscribe to. Right. So I don't know if you had a chance to listen to an episode. So we have at the end um, the, uh, the joke. The die. Of, we roll the die. Yes. Uh, my Scorpio nature does not allow me to uh, do small talk, apparently. So depending on what I roll, <laughs> you'll get a question about death, sex, religion, politics, or money. And if I roll a six, you get to pick which one you want. And there are no rules. So you could skip. Um, we kind of covered politics. So that's some. You know, if we get that one, you could say, man, I feel like I talked about that. Let's see what we get. For politics, do you want this question or do you want a, you want a different one? I mean, it is a little different than what we talked about. Okay, let's go for it. Okay. Let's see what the fates have given us. All right. So obviously you have these two books out about magical resistance with contributors. Um, and we talked a little bit about that but uh so when were you radicalized what was the thing that made you understand that this was this was your your lot in life (laughs) i was always a very neurotic anxious kid i mean i grew up in the the shadow of the cold war (laughs) going to happen then through 9 11 um but i think where it really entered um my my craft in such a way that it became more public um much more active was in it was november 2016 and living in seattle um where you know we have a really extensive queer family queer community and just the seeing the abject terror of everyone uh, you know the fear and the how people are upset like i'm deeply upset but you know, the people who are even more vulnerable than myself, you know, I want to take care of those people and I want to protect them and I want to inspire them. Um, and so that's where the power sigil came from. And that started pretty much this other aspect of my journey, which I think, like I said, was always been there. Um, but it became more of a, yeah, it's, it's not going to get better unless we do something about it moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, like you said, yeah, growing up in the in the Cold War and just kind of all of those things. And, you know, like I I think one of the first things I got really involved in is um I was on the cusp of the tuition hikes yeah. when I was in school. And, you know, I had a friend of mine basically look at me and goes, This is how they keep you from going to school. This is it. This is where it starts. And I, I don't know necessarily that it was um I mean, I think about it now and I don't know that it was that Machiavellian. I think it was just greed, but, mm-hmm. but it has fed all these other things that, that piece too. And 
you know, and the same, like, you know, we, you know, the nineties weren't a golden age as much as we might have been innocent about things like, you know, discrimination was still rampant. I mean, it's not exactly gone away, but it was, it was happening as people just didn't talk about it as much. There weren't conversation, open conversations about it as much. And, um, but, you know, being a woman in a, you know, in a writing department had its own weirdness. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot, I think that comes from that. And I, I, I think I'm more surprised at this point in my life about people who aren't radical about what they believe. Right. I, it, every time I see, especially like when Pathios articles are shared and people are like, stop trying to make magic political. I'm like, yeah. oh, bless you and your privilege. <laughs> Don't you care about anybody? Yeah. You I mean, know, that's like, like, that's like, like second wave feminism. Witchcraft. Yeah. It was like <laughs> second wave feminism. The personal is political. We've been here a long time. This is not new. You know, this, this idea yeah. that the personal is political is not new. And like you said, like being a witch, being out as a witch is a political act. Yeah. And been doing it. I remember being interviewed in the nineties on TV and just like, well, at least I'm in a position where, you know, it, not to say it was safe, but it wasn't going to harm, you know, I didn't have children to worry about. It didn't, you know, it wasn't going to affect my job. Um, you know, and I really remember those times because I was running a large group where it did, like people couldn't be photographed and couldn't say that they were there. And, you know, these concerns, like we're still seeing bits of that, but it's like nowhere as bad as it was in the late nineties and early goes um, in that way. But now we're facing another satanic panic. So who, who, who deaf knows? <laughs> Yeah. No, that that satanic panic resurgence thing. It's like, yeah, I thought we were done with that too. Apparently not. Um, and you know, I just remember how secretive we were about things in the nineties, like the groups I were in that like split apart because people weren't keeping secrets enough, you know, just those kind of things. Yeah. And now to be looking at that again, I mean, and having moved from East Tennessee to California in the last couple of years and like, I don't think, I don't know that I would have the podcast. I don't know that I would be that out if I were still in Tennessee. It's not a great place to be different right now. Right. And especially now with the internet, it's very easy to find, find out information a lot. You know, if the newspaper misspelled your name, nobody was going to find you. Right. You know, look, look you up in the phone book. Oh, but you know, that's, that's, that's. Yeah, it's like two seconds of Googling. Yeah, like two seconds of Googling and they know where you live. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird time. It's a weird time. But I think, I don't know, despite my Scorpio nature, I'm a bit of an optimist. And I want to believe that, you know, enough people pushing in the right direction changes things. And unfortunately, that you know, that critical mass has been from the other side for the last three years, you know, few years, but I think there are more of us, honestly. Yes. I really do. I, I believe so too. And I, I, I call myself a hope punk. <laughs> oh, I like that. You know, I, I really do need to believe in that there is the best part of humanity. And for all the time that this is called the tower time, um, you know, to, to give that credit to Byron Ballard, um, I think for coining the phrase, um, if we're going to, if we're going to play the tarot here, what's the next card after the tower, it's the star. Mm. And I, I'm, that's one of my favorite cards. It's the hope. It's the inspiration. What's on? What's on the horizon? That's coming next. And when I look at the younger generation, I am deeply inspired. And like they are so much wiser. They're so much more um, diverse and aware of these situations. That as long as we can keep the path clear for them, mm-hmm. um, they they are going to change the world. Yeah. I I have no doubt about that. I'm. Yeah. It just makes me all reclaimed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I I totally agree with you. Like when when people bitch about you know when I was the younger generation and people bitched about us, and now when people bitch about millennials and Gen Z, and I'm like, well, millennials have mortgages, y'all. They're not who you think they are for one, and right, (laughs) and Gen Z, like you know, they've come up in a world where they've had access to more information than I could have imagined as a teenager before the internet. Like they have access to information that we never had. So 
like, yeah, like they, they know, I mean, they know the world doesn't come to an end because somebody goes to a drag brunch. Like they get that, that that's not, that's not what's harming them. (laughs) They know where the harm is coming from. (laughs) So, yeah, I think you're right. We just got to keep the path clear. That's our job at this point. Stand up, keep the path clear. Yep. Oh, I think that's a good hopeful place to end. But yeah, I, I I am going to adopt Hope Punk because I really I like that a lot. So it's good. It's a good genre. <laughs> awesome. It's well, necessary. But. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for this conversation. This has been lovely. I, I'm sure we could talk for hours. Um, I say that to a lot of my guests, and it's always true. I don't want people to think I say that, and I don't mean it. I I really do mean it. I'm thrilled to get to meet people so oh thank you so much for having me here this has been a great discussion yeah i feel the same like we could go go have coffee or a drink yes definitely (laughs) we'll we'll have to make that happen on sometime when we're not on either coast of the united states (laughs) yeah i I will definitely um actually i might be in the bay area in the fall so good keep in touch and let you know if i'm yeah and heading out that way cool Awesome. Well, take care and we uh, will hopefully talk soon. We do have new exciting things to talk about. So that'd be great. Thank you so much. Great. And that's a wrap for season four. We'll be back August 2nd, Llamas, with a whole new season of Witchlit featuring more witches and more writers. While we're settling into the new Witchlit HQ and putting the final touches on season five, We'll replay some of our most listened to episodes from our first two seasons and bring you a special midsummer treat. Until then, I hope you enjoy some witchy summer reading. Witchlit is a production of Thousand Volt Press. Our intro music is Cosmic Glow by Andrew Kay, and our outro music is Voices by Alexander Shinekar. Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at witchlitpod. Thanks for listening and for reading Witchy.